you turn to Genesis 3, then I'll also read a scripture in 1 John chapter 4 uh, in a moment. Genesis 3, after they had partaken of the forbidden fruit, Verse 8, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. I heard your voice in the garden, and I was Afraid. First John 4, verse 18. But there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. First recorded words of Adam. We just read them. Immediately after the fall, the Lord God comes looking for him to fellowship. He runs and hides himself. He said, I was afraid. First time it's mentioned in Holy Scripture. Ever since that moment, fear and dread has stalked the earth. And it has plagued us and poisoned us. And imprisoned us. It invades our hearts and minds and facts us with worry and stress and anxiety. It hinders us, inhibits us, prevents us from fulfilling the dreams that God has given to us. Who amongst us has not felt that knot in the stomach or heart pounding? or throat tightening, or palm sweating. Who among us has never had their courage and their confidence stifled when fear attacks? All of us, without exception, has felt the effects of fear. Fear makes us shrink from our duty. It cripples our faith. It blinds our reason. It kills our dreams. It extinguishes our hopes. Have you ever considered for a moment that Jesus in his earthly ministry, in his humanity, he hungered, he wept, he got tired and weary, even on occasion he got angry, but never once do we read that he was afraid. Even in his most terrible moment, in the greatest crisis of his life, when he was facing the awful specter of the cross and even going through the horrors of the cross, never once does the Bible record that he faced that with fear. Why? Why did he not feel fear? Because in his, his humanity, in his humanity, he was sinless. 
He was holy, holy, completely holy. Fear could not find a place in him. Now, none of us are holy, holy. None of us are completely without sin. So therefore, all through life's journey, we're going to be faced with fear. But I want to encourage us tonight that to face our fears with faith. Faith is the antidote to fear. And so, let's just recognize immediately that without exception, all of us are going to go through this life and there will be times when fear will strike. And that's when we've got the choice. How do we face those times? We're going to face them with faith. Of course, I'm not talking here about a healthy fear. There's a healthy fear. A healthy respect. None of us tonight are just going to run across that road tonight when the traffic is barling down the street. No. There's a healthy fear that if we do that, we're going to be maimed or killed. So we don't do it. There's a healthy fear that if we go up to the top of a very tall building, that we're not going to get too close to the edge, if we can help it, in case we trip or fall. And that's a natural, healthy, and it's a good fear. That keeps us safe for the most part. In 1 John 4.18, it speaks of a fear that has torment. A fear that paralyzes. A fear that binds. A fear that shackles us. Fear is a byproduct of unbelief. Say, what do you mean, David? Well, as soon as Adam stopped taking God at his word, fear immediately was a result. As soon as Adam believed the lies of the devil more than the truth of God, fear was the result. It was Adam's distrust. It was his unbelief. It was refusal to take God at his word that allowed fear to come in and to have the ascendancy in his life. Why should be afraid of God? He wasn't afraid of God before when he was living in obedience, when he was living and trusting in God's word. But as soon as he broke that, fear came in. So fear was the effect that was not the cause. Fear was the fruit of unbelief, but not the root of it. Matthew chapter 14, let's have a look here at this incident in the life of Peter. Matthew 14, verse 22. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up onto the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, 
He was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Jesus was not on board that particular time. As far as they knew, he was up the mountain. He was a long, long way away from them in their trouble. Did you ever feel that God was a long, long way from you and your trouble? They knew that he loved them, but he wasn't with them at that moment. And so when these waves became very boisterous, times were difficult, they obviously felt that they were going to die. And whenever Jesus appeared walking on the sea, all of those old superstitious tales they had known as fishermen from their little boys, all of them suddenly loomed before them and they were convinced this must be a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. What an amazing unbelievable step of faith for a human being to take. Never done before, never done since. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now, if we just stop there, It would appear that his fear was the cause of his unbelief. But I contend it was the other way around. Actually, they had been afraid before this. We just read how they were afraid when Jesus appeared. They thought it was a ghost and they cried out for fear. They were in fear of their lives. Because Jesus wasn't with them. He was up the mountain. There was no possible way that Jesus could get to where they were. If he only could get to where they were, then they'd be fine. But as far as their their logical thinking was, there is no possible way. Even though he loves us, he cannot get to us. So therefore we're done for. And they were afraid. But then there was that moment... By faith, Peter overcame his fear, and he walked on the water. Now let me just read on and just show you this. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, there was the very root 
of his unbelief. And his fear was the fruit of it. His doubt was the root of his unbelief, but his fear was the fruit of it. Jesus got right to the heart of his problem. Why did you doubt? In those few steps that he took, whether it was 10 or 20, in those steps that he took, for that few moments, there was no fear whatsoever because he was walking by faith. There was no doubt whatsoever. But when the doubt came, when the unbelief came, the faith went and the fear came back. So I think that Jesus is trying to teach us something here about our faith and our fear. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. And because you know this story so well, we'll just break into it. The story, of course, of David and Goliath. You remember how this great giant was standing out over the valley of Elah? What does he say in verse 8, 1 Samuel 17? Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, Take heed what you hear. But in Luke 8, 18, he also said, Take heed how you hear. Two different things entirely. What you hear and how you hear what you hear can make all the difference. And so when Solomon and Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. They heard through the ears of unbelief. These were covenant men of God. This was an uncircumcised Philistine. And they listened this tirade day after day after day, and they were greatly afraid. They forgot they were covenant men. They forgot they were dealing with a, a man who was not of the covenant. And they were greatly afraid. And then David comes on the scene, doesn't he? Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening, 
Then Jesse said to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp, and carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousand, and see how your brothers fare, and bring you back of them. Now Saul and they, and, and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he went to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, came and greeted his brothers. Then he talked with them. And then when he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. Now I want you to note this. And he spoke according to the same words, and David heard them. The exact same words that Saul and all the men of Israel had heard, and because they had heard them, they were greatly afraid. But David heard them, and all the men of Israel, and they that saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches and will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now note this again, that he should defy the armies, not of Israel, but of the living God. David is a covenant boy, but he remembers the covenant. And what he's saying is, listen, I have heard what you have heard, but my ear is hearing something different. You say he's coming against the armies of Israel. I say he's coming against the armies of the living God. And there's a big difference how he heard that. Same threats, same taunts, heard the same words, but how he heard it was different. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And you know the story well, and I don't need to reiterate the story, but you know how he went out, not afraid, full of faith, knowing that the covenant-keeping God was his God, knowing that covenant-keeping God was the one who sustained him when he battled with the lion and the bear and he killed them. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as the lion and the bear. You and I are people of a new covenant a better and greater covenant. For that will not stop the devil coming and threatening you and lying to you and shouting at you all day long. But how you hear him will make all of the difference. Because if he's coming against you as a child of God, he's coming against God. And he's not going to win that battle. 
Now you say to yourself, I'm a child of the new covenant. And the covenant keeping God is my God. And so David won that great battle, didn't he? He became a hero because of his faith and how he heard the enemy. In Numbers chapter 13, Moses sends out the spies to spy out the land that God had promised them. There's no question. God had promised them this land. It was just a question of how we're going to take it. What will our strategy be? But it's ours. God has already given us this land. Verse 17, Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. That was the twelve spies. Said to them, Go up this way into the south and go up to the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell there in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are forests or they're not, be of good courage. Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin, as far as Rehob, near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up from the south, went up through the south and came to Hebron, Heman, and Shishiah, and Talmai, and the descendants of Anak were there. The descendants of Anak uh, were giants. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And then they came to the valley of Eshcol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they carried between them two, between two of them on a pole. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshcol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told them and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell there in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, and along the banks of the Jordan. And Caleb, who couldn't listen to this any longer, interrupted and says, Caleb quietened the people before the Lord and said, Let us go but once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Hmm. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. 
not as people of God, not as men of God, but as grasshoppers. And because they saw themselves that way, guess what? And so we were in their sight. The world has got to look at us and see a difference. It's got to look at us and see a difference. They've got to look at us and think, they're not the same as me. There's a difference. But they looked at the world, and the world seemed bigger and stronger and greater than they were. And once they did that, that's exactly how the world saw them. They didn't see them as men of God. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, see how this fear began to spread through the whole camp? Because it's contagious. If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not have been better for us to return to Egypt? So they said one to another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes. And they spoke to all the children of Israel, saying, The land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey only. Do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land. Now you notice how he put that. He put that first. Do not rebel against the Lord. Take the Lord at his word. His promise has been given. The Lord has already promised us this land. So don't rebel against that. Because what happens when you do? The fear of man comes. Do not rebel against the Lord nor fear the people of the land. For they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They were hardened in their unbelief. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before the children of Israel. And if you would read on that, you'll see that God says, I'm going to destroy the whole jolly lot on. Moses, I'm going to raise up with you a great nation. Moses says, don't do that, Lord, because the Egyptians will hear about it and say, you couldn't take care of them out there. Hmm. Moses stood in the gap. The Lord says, okay, here's what I'll do. They were out there 40 days. And for every day they were out there, I'm going to get them to wander in this wilderness for 40 years. A year for every day they were out and spying the land. And all of that unbelieving crowd will die off. Their carcasses will fall in the wilderness. But you see all their children, they said they'll be killed. He says, I'll raise them up and they'll go in and they'll take the land. And that's exactly what happened. And of course, Joshua became the great leader, didn't he? After Moses. And Caleb, at 80 years old, when he got there, he says, give me this mountain, Lord. 
It's been promised to me for all of these years, and here we are. I may be 80, but I'm ready for the fight. <laughs> Not an ounce of fear in him, because he believed the promise of God, didn't he? 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The Amplified puts it this way, For God didn't give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and clinging, fawning fear, but He has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. The Living Bible says, for the Holy Spirit does not want us to be afraid of people. Fear in the New Testament, the word is where we get the word phobia from. And a phobia is a persistent, irrational fear or dread. And the devil wants to fill us with persistent, irrational fears and dreads. And the only way we're going to overcome it is by faith in the Word of God and the promises of God. Psalm 27, just those first few verses are lovely verses. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army man camp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise up against me, in this I will be confident. <laughs> Isn't that lovely? And of course, we put on the armor of God. And when those thoughts attack our mind, we put on the helmet of salvation. And we protect the mind where often is the seat of the battle. Whenever those fiery darts come against us, we raise up the shield of faith to quench all of those fiery darts. And of course, when he attacks our spirit, because when fear comes, I mean, even, even if somebody jumps out from behind a wall and shouts, Boo! You feel it right in your belly, don't you? I know the hair stands up in the back of your neck, but there's something in your spirit that just goes. Whenever we were in the Ukraine there, Clifford, in this last trip, uh, Martin was preaching in the, the rehabilitation center in Odessa. And it's a place for the homeless and the drug addicts and the drunkards and the prostitutes to come. And there's a ministry there for them. And they can dry out and come off drugs. And many of them are coming to Christ. And so just after uh, Martin was prayed for people, lots of people came to Christ that night. Then... Uh, Alexander and one of, the, one of the assistants, one of the helpers, and took us into this room. And there was only two in it. There was a lady right at the far end of it sitting up in bed. She, she, was, she was unable to get out of bed, actually. But then there was another 
something or somebody was lying in a bed and the sheet was all over them. I, I couldn't see anybody. And the lady who, with Alexander who took me in, she says, uh, pray, pray, pray. <laughs> so as soon as I put up my hand, I didn't even get touching her. As soon as I put up my hand, and as soon as we started to pray, something rose up in that woman. And she sat up in bed, and the anger and the eyes were flashing. And she didn't know because I spoke English, and she certainly didn't know any English. There was nobody interpreting. But when that happened immediately in my spirit, I knew what that was. So what do you do in that situation? Alexander came over very quickly. And because there was a room full of people just next door, I don't think he wanted a whole scene. So he just says, just, just let it go. Just let it go. And then he reached out. <laughs> and then he pulled the hand back because she was going to go for him too. But there was a spirit there. And the spirit in her was reacting against the spirit in us. And when fear comes, there's something about your spirit reacts. Isn't there? I mean, right in your belly, right in your innermost being, you feel it. The breastplate of righteousness. Isaiah 54, 14, in righteousness... What's righteousness? Right standing with God. In a simple phrase that is. Right standing with God. God has made us to be able to stand before him. Righteous in Christ. In righteousness you shall be established. For you shall be far from oppression. For you shall not fear. Proverbs 28 and 1. The wicked flees when no man pursues. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. There's something about understanding your righteousness in Christ that helps you overcome fear. Knowing that you're a child of God, knowing your position in Christ Jesus will help you overcome fear. Amen? Now, I read a scripture right at the very start, 1 John 4, 18. Perfect love casts out fear. What kind of fear is John referring to here? Because here is a fear that affects many believers. And it's to do with our position in Christ. In 1 John chapter 4, now I'm going to read that verse. I'm going to read it from the, the New Living Translation. It'll make it a little bit easier for you. Now John's the apostle of love and he's talking much about love. Verse 16, we know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in him. God is love. And all those who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in love, our love grows more perfect, or more, it matures more, that means. 
So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. But we can face him with confidence because we are like Christ here in this world. Such love has no fear. Fear of what? Fear of judgment. Did you get that? Because the verse before says, so we will not be afraid in the day of judgment. Such love has no fear, fear of judgment, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid of what? Of judgment. It is for fear of judgment, and this shows that his love has not been perfected in us. Ah, now, listen. I'm going to close in a second or two. Oftentimes, believers, in their desire to please the Lord and to serve the Lord as best they can, get themselves into such a bind that if they make one mistake or they don't do enough, that somehow the judgment of God will be upon them. That God will be so displeased that His judgment will be upon them. And they dread the day of judgment. Absolutely dread it. But John says if we're like that, it's because we're not perfected in his love. We're failing to understand that he loves us. Really, truly loves us. Now we want to do well and we want to do better and we certainly want to do that which is pleasing in his sight. No taking away from that. We don't want to live in such a way that's displeasing to him. But if you forget that he truly, truly loves you and that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, it's not going to be the great white judgment. There's going to be a lot of fear there because that's for the unbelievers and the sinners who refuse to repent and own Christ, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ to see our reward, will we get a reward for deeds done in the body since we became believers? Will we get our crowns? But that's no reason to be afraid and to live in terror and be tormented with the thought of that. To be able to stand before him and to hear that well done, good and faithful servant enter into the joy of your Lord. He doesn't want us to go through this life as believers tormented with fear of appearing before him. No question we will. But he wants us to go through this life in his love, secure in his love, enjoying his love, believing in his love, trusting in his love. Now again, that doesn't mean to say we can just go out and, well, he loves us anyway, so we'll do whatever we like. No, that's a completely wrong attitude. It's not even godly even to think that way. We love him. We want to bless. We want to do everything we can, but we need to know that we are held in his love. And yes, we will make our mistakes. And yes, we will get it wrong. And yes, there'll be times we'll not do maybe what we ought to do or more than what we should do. But, but he loves us with an everlasting love. 
And he wants us to walk in that love. Such love has no fear because mature love, perfect love, expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment. This shows that his love has not been perfected in us. Then he goes on to talk about loving one another. If our love is perfected in him, then it'll be much easier to love one another, wouldn't it? Because our love's been perfected in him. Close with this. A lady once said to the great D.L. Moody, she said, I found a wonderful verse. What is it, he said? Psalm 56, verse 3. At what time I'm afraid I will trust in you. Moody smiled and says, well, I've got a better one than that. Isaiah 12 and 2, I will trust and not be afraid. <laughs> That's belts and braces, isn't it? <laughs> I will trust and not be afraid. But hey, if for some reason or other I slip up, then I can lean on Psalm 56 and 3. At what time I am afraid, I will trust in you. Glory to God. <laughs> Somebody said that fear is the dark room where negatives are developed. Let's not develop the negatives. Let's develop the positives. And know that Christ loves us and walk in his love and dispel that fear. Lord, we thank you for your great love for your children. We thank you, love us with an everlasting, eternal love. A love that wants to reward and to bless and to protect. Lord, if we love our children and we want to bless them and protect them and look after them and want the best for them, how much more? shall our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love Him. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, tonight we rebuke fear. Fear, Lord, it wants to crowd in our minds and wants to take possession of our very hearts. We rebuke it in Jesus' name. Lord, we want to walk in faith. We want to speak Your Word. I want to trust your word and your promises to us are true and they're real. And we're going to believe them in Jesus' name. So Lord, whatever may come our way this week, help us, Lord, to face it with faith and trust in Christ and his living word. And Lord, we'll give you thanks and we'll bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, good. Praise God. So next Sunday morning, bring a busload of people with you. <laughs> At least come yourself anyway. <laughs> <laughs>